Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 64, and I'm going to avoid the Beatles jokes. We're going to talk about the best microvan that you can get in the United States today, and we're going to talk about everybody's favorite thing, mold. We're going to do a tale from the road involving a big rock in a bad place, a product review of cheap flashing pucks, and a place to visit involving historic ships. Thank you for joining me once again. I am absolutely thrilled to be talking to you, and I have lots to say. And before I do, I have to cover a few quick notes. First off, thank you to everyone who looked at the YouTube channel that we have just recently launched officially, and who have subscribed and liked and dingled the little bell or whatever you call that. I do appreciate it. We're going to add a lot more YouTube content. And uh, as I've mentioned before, the podcast and the YouTube channel are going to exist simultaneously. They may cover the same topics, but at this time I am not going to simply put the podcast on YouTube because I think they're different media and need to be treated differently. Also, I'm happy to announce that I now have a very large collection of Hook Waka Bang stickers. These are stickers that look like Euro decals and basically say, question mark is greater than exclamation point, which is Hook Waka Bang. This is sort of the symbol for the College of Curiosity and subsequently this podcast. They're attractive conversation starter type stickers, and uh, I like them, and a lot of you seem to like them too. And if you would like one, and you live in the United States, send me your mailing address, and I will mail one to you absolutely free of charge. I am not harvesting mailing addresses. I don't keep them. I just like the stickers, and I figure you might too. So you can send that request to jeff at builttogo.com. That's built to go with two T's, not three, and not one. Okay, I asked folks in the Facebook group to give me ideas for things they'd like to hear about, and someone suggested, hey, I want to know what the best microvan is. So to be clear, we're going to talk about those vans that are kind of city vans. They're smaller vans. They are not the big sprinters or the transits. These are the vans you see being turned into taxis or delivering flowers, or like the one I have. There are three that are currently sold in the United States. They are the Nissan NV200, the Ford Transit Connect, and the Ram ProMaster City. Now, you may have noticed right away the annoying habit all of these car companies have to name their small vans with the same name as the larger van, and it causes all kinds of search problems. But to be clear... These are very small vans that will easily fit in any parking space. They're all smaller than most minivans. Now, full disclosure, I have an NV200, and I may come across as a little bit biased towards the NV200. Just keep that in mind. Also, I will not be talking about the Mercedes Metris, because I do not consider it to be a microvan. True, it is smaller than his big brother, the Sprinter, but it's kind of in a class of its own in the U.S., it's the only van that's its size. I may talk about that separately. So, which is the best microvan to build a camper out of? Well, I've decided to break this down into specific categories. Which of these vehicles has the most interior space? And the answer is, without a doubt, 
the Ford Transit Connect long wheelbase. The Ford Transit Connect comes in two wheelbases, short and long. The long is the largest of the microvans. Now, again, the Metris is even larger, but we're not going to talk about the Metris. So, if that is your number one concern, the long wheelbase Ford Transit Connect is the way to go. However, you're still dealing with a rather low ceiling height. More space in terms of cubic feet does not actually mean more livable space necessarily. So if you're a taller person, this might not be a great solution. What if gas mileage is your primary thing? It's really all you care about. You're going to be driving all over the country and gas mileage is going to have a huge impact on your wallet. Well, the answer there is the Ram that can get 28 miles a gallon during highway driving. Also, it has the largest fuel tank. So as for long distance driving, if that's your goal, Ram Promaster City is the one that can do that the best. Now that said, they're all pretty comparable in terms of gas mileage. They're all getting in the mid-20s, so there isn't a huge difference. And they also all run on regular fuel, so you don't have to worry about putting in premium or anything, unless you want to. What if cost is your biggest concern? I mean, that's an obvious one. Well, the lowest cost one is the NV200. It's always the lowest cost, whether it's used or new, the NV200 is the cheapest microvan available currently. And remember, they're being discontinued this year. So if you want a new one, get it now because they're not making any more. Or now, which one has the highest ceiling? That is, again, the NV200. The NV200 shape is quite a bit different from the others. It is narrow and tall. That has advantages and disadvantages, but if you're someone like me who is six foot tall, having that high ceiling makes a huge difference. So again, if you're a tall person, I think you definitely want to look at the NV200. But remember that you still only have 75 inches of space from the front seat to the back door. So if you're taller than 75 inches, that is six foot three, you're going to have to figure out exactly how you're going to sleep in there because it's a challenge. Which is the best vehicle if you're going to be in cities, which is actually my situation? Well, again, it is the NV200, and this is because the NV200 in the U.S. was designed to be the New York City taxi, and the city of New York gave them all these standards they had to meet, including being able to turn around on a city block and fit down alleys and all these kind of things, and the NV200 can do this. It has the best turning radius, for example, and it has the smallest wheels, which a lot of people complain about, but in cities, that can have an advantage. Which one of these vehicles is going to be best off-road? I'm tempted to say none of them. None of these are suitable off-road vehicles. But if you're going to judge off-road worthiness by things like ground clearance, well, then the NV200 wins again with over six inches of ground clearance, which I don't consider a lot, but compared to the other two, it's quite a bit. The Ford Transit is in the middle there, and the Promaster City is only coming in at like four and a half inches. So that's something to consider. Best towing, if you're going to tow a trailer, the Ram Promaster City has the larger engine and the most towing capacity of 2,500 pounds. So it is the best towing vehicle by far. The Ford can tow, but not as well. And the NV200 is rated for zero 
towing because of the CVT transmission. Now, that said, I do have a tow bar on mine, and I use it gently. Which of these is the most comfortable? That is, maybe the most car-like ride. Well, the answer there is the Ram Promaster City. It is a nicely appointed interior with a lot of the creature comforts you would expect to find in a car. The Ford Transit Connects are also pretty car-like, but the NV200s in this case are very Spartan. Lots of hard plastic, you can forget about things like heated seats or even mirrors on the visors. Those are not things that you get in the NV200. Which one of these has the best warranty? Well, the NV200 actually has a much better warranty. It has a five-year, 100,000-mile warranty on the entire vehicle, while the others only have a three-year, 36,000-mile warranty, except on the drivetrain. They bump that up to 50,000. But still, the NV200's warranty is much, much better. And that might be because of this most important thing. Which of these has the best reliability? Now, according to RepairPal.com, and I'm not sure they are the end-all, be-all of sites reporting on how good things are, the NV200 is the number one most reliable commercial van, period. Out of 21 commercial vans available in the U.S., they ranked it number one. That's pretty impressive. And I have to say with my NV200, I haven't had any really major mechanical problems except for the air conditioning compressor that blew up at about 115,000 miles. That was the only major expense I've had with the vehicle. The worst is the Ram Promaster City, which of course is a Fiat. And again, the Ford comes in the middle. You may be noticing a trend here. The Ford is in the middle of almost all of these things which is interesting. It doesn't really excel at anything. And finally, because some people care about this, which vehicle is the most American-made? And this is a tricky thing, right? Because you've got Ford, an American car company, Ram, which is part of Dodge, which is part of Chrysler, an American car company, and then you've got Nissan, a Japanese car company. Except that these days, this stuff doesn't matter anymore because that's not how things work. The Ram Promaster City is made in Turkey by the company that owns Chrysler, which is Fiat. So it's an Italian car manufacturer building an American car in Turkey. Very strange. The Ford, believe it or not, is built in Spain and imported into the U.S. And the Japanese car is built in Mexico. So ultimately, again, the NV200 is the most American car, but in this case, it's Central American. There are no microvans built in the United States. There are some minivans like the Toyota Sienna, but no microvans are built in the United States. So if that's something that you care about, you have your pick of Turkey, Spain, or Mexico. So that's a quick rundown. If anyone has any specific questions, feel free to ask me. Again, the best van in the world is the one you own. So if I have made you sad because I made another one sound better or whatever, that's silly. Don't worry about that. The van you have is the best one. But if you're in the market for a van, I hope some of what I said has given you some food for thought. Tech Talk. Let's talk about mold. Everybody loves mold. 
well, people who love blue cheese love mold. The rest of us would probably rather not have it in our lives. And it's something you hear about a lot in vans, is that, oh, I've got mold under my mattress, that's a place it loves, or in little corners or whatever, and, oh no, it's black mold, my van is toxic, and I can never use it ever again. Well, I've got good news for you. Mold can be dealt with, and it's probably not as dangerous as you think. There is this myth that there is this type of mold called black mold that will kill anybody within a hundred miles of it. I'm exaggerating a little bit. Well, the truth is that black mold and the black mold scare doesn't have a whole lot of reality to it. Medical professionals do not recognize black mold as being a thing. In fact, if you see quote-unquote black mold in your van, it's most likely mildew, which is a fungus, but it's not exactly mold. A lot of this is just fear. Also, mold isn't bad for everybody. Some people are sensitive to it. Some people are allergic to it. Absolutely true. But for most of us, it's just a nuisance. It isn't really going to harm us. That said, whether it's harmful or not, you don't want it in your van. You want to get rid of it, and there are ways. The first thing you want to do is stop it from growing to begin with. That isn't always easy, because everywhere you go, literally, in the world, there are mold spores. They're microscopic, they're in the air everywhere. That is why if you leave a piece of bread out long enough, it will grow mold, because those spores are everywhere. If you want to keep mold out of your van, the number one most important thing is ventilation, as it is for so many things, because mold needs moisture. Remember that. Mold needs moisture. If you have mold, your goal is to remove the moisture, and ventilation is what does that. You are going to fill your van with moist, warm air, because that's what you exhale. That's what cooking creates. That's what some types of heating creates. It's what your dog breathes out. There are many, many reasons why warm, moist air will be in your van. The only thing you can do is change the air out and remove a lot of that moisture. So ventilation is one way to do that. Now, if you have a problem, you simply have to remove the moisture. The common thing that you hear is, oh, you spray it with bleach and that's the end of it. But there's a problem with bleach most of what you're spraying on there is water, moisture, and that's what the mold feeds on. So there are better products than bleach for removing mold, and you can find them at Home Depot or whatever. There is a whole aisle of mold removal. But remember that whatever product you use, you want the surface to be dry when you're done. It's the dryness that is going to kill the mold. One specific area where people find mold in their vans is under their mattresses. They'll have a van where the bed is on a platform, either over a garage or, in the case of an old Volkswagen, over the engine. But that platform gets cold, and your hot, warm body is sleeping on that mattress, and that creates a place for the moisture to condense and get under the mattress, and there it stays. Because the other thing mold doesn't like is air, oxygen. Under your mattress, there's very little oxygen and a lot of moisture, and mmm, mold likes that. An easy way to fix this is simply put your mattress on something that ventilates it a little bit. You can put a, a few pieces of furring strip under the mattress. You can drill holes. There's, there's a bunch of different ways, and I'll let you figure that out. That could be a whole episode of its own. But the goal is to let the underneath of the mattress air out. That will take care of the mold. 
a simple way people do this is they put a piece of insulation under their mattress. Honestly, that can be enough. Just get a piece of foam insulation, put it under your mattress, and you most likely will not have any mold problems. So, mold... It's a pain, it's something we'll probably all have to deal with, but it's not the end of the world. It is probably not going to kill you. There are certain weird cases where mold can be a health hazard, but there's a lot of hype too, so don't freak out. Tales from the road. So some of these tales I tell are, um, yeah, they're, they don't reflect well upon me. And I'm afraid this is one. Maybe 12 years or so ago, I was out exploring the area around Death Valley. Well, I remember, I went to Racetrack Playa, and I went to Tea Kettle Junction, and I was having a great old time. I was driving a big old Jeep Navigator that was like a Cherokee, only bigger. And I was all by myself, which is stupid, and bombing around on these dirt roads, trying to recreate what you see in the commercials. We're like, hey, buy our four-wheel drive and drive like an idiot and drive too fast and splash puddles and, and skid and destroy the environment and all that stuff. Came around a corner and there was a big hill and at the bottom of the hill was this massive puddle right in the middle of the road. And I was like, this is my chance. I'm going to bomb through that puddle and splash water everywhere. Not even considering why there was water in the desert. I don't know. There was probably a little bit of a spring there. I gun it, and I hit that puddle at maybe 40 miles an hour, and water splashes up from the front wheels, and then, clunk! I hear this enormous bang. The Jeep shudders, and I make it on the other side of the puddle, but I hear a noise that sounds like dragging. I'm maybe 20 miles from pavement at this point. There's no cell service. It's getting late in the afternoon, and I'm in a rental Jeep. Again, not my finest moment. So I crawl under and look, and I'm thinking there's going to be an exhaust system hanging down, or hopefully not an oil pan hanging down. But what I find is that the good folks at Jeep knew there were people like me out there and actually installed factory skid plates, which I was very happy about. However, those skid plates were made out of some composite plasticky material, and I had ripped one off because I hit the big rock that was in that puddle. Folks, don't drive through water because you can't see what's in it. You don't know how deep it is and you don't know what's under there. And in my case, that didn't know what under there was a giant rock that smashed into the bottom of the Jeep and ripped off the skid plate, which was now dragging. Now, as it had happened, I had purchased a Leatherman that day which was great because it has all the tools on it. And the Leatherman came in a hard plastic blister pack. And I was able to take off the bolts of the mostly removed skid plate, make washers out of that plastic Leatherman packaging, and then put the skid plate on so it wouldn't drag anymore. And it worked fine. It was actually as good as new. And that's why I didn't tell the rental company anything about it. Again, not my favorite moment. Do as I say and not as I do. And don't do what they do in the car commercials because those are professional drivers on closed roads and they're being idiots. There's an old Land Rover expression. Slow as possible, fast as necessary. I think that should be taped onto the dashboards of every 4x4 there is. 
product review. So last week I reviewed the nine in one safety puck from that I got from Duluth Trading Company and it's $30 and I actually think it's a fairly nice bit of kit, except that it's $30. So I noticed on Amazon they had them for $14 and I decided to buy them because I figured, well, I can't have too many safety pucks in my life. And I was surprised when I got it that it actually came in a pack of three. So for $14, I got three safety pucks that honestly are just as good as the Duluth Trading Company one. Well, all right, they're not. Let's talk about the differences. What do you get for 14 bucks versus 30? The $14 ones are a little bit smaller, but they have the same number of LEDs and they're roughly the same brightness. They also have three more LEDs on the top that make a white flashlight, which the $30 one doesn't have. And they have a folding hook on the back so you can hang them up on stuff. And yes, they do have the magnet. So why wouldn't I just automatically say that these are better? Well, there's a few key differences that are important. One is the batteries. The cheap ones, whose name is Twinkle Star, come with AAA batteries. These are not going to last as long as lithium batteries, not only while you're using them, but also while you're storing them in your van, waiting to use them. For a piece of emergency equipment, that's super important because these are going to be useless if their batteries are dead. Also, when they come from the factory, there is a little piece of paper in the batteries that prevent them from being used. And yes, that's a good thing, right? The problem is, is that you'd have to take the entire thing apart with a screwdriver in order to remove that piece of paper. So imagine it's an emergency and you want to use your light. Well, then you've got to find a Phillips head screwdriver and take it off and find this little piece of paper and remove it and then put it back together to turn the light on. That isn't very convenient. Also, and this probably is the least important difference, they're kind of cheap feeling. They're not as well made. The plasticky, rubbery stuff is, is softer, and I don't think these would be as good as something you could drive over to gain traction, for example, which, of course, isn't their purpose, but hey, it's a difference. I'm, I'm at a loss here. Which is better? Which should you buy? Well, the $30 ones, I think, are going to be better in an emergency but they're 30 bucks, and when you're looking at the difference between $90 and $14, it's hard for me to recommend the $90 device. So I'm going to have a link in the show notes for the cheap ones, and you can take a look for yourself. If you do end up getting the cheaper ones, just remember that they have batteries that you need to check frequently. The expensive one is much better for someone who's just going to throw it in the back and hope they never need it, but want it to work when they do. A place to visit. Philadelphia is a great city in many ways. There are, there's all kinds of stuff to see there. But one of my favorite things there is the ships they have. Right on the river between Pennsylvania and New Jersey, you can see and tour some amazing vessels. Like the USS Olympia that basically won the Spanish-American War. It's the oldest ship from that time period that's still floating. And the SS United States is there, although you can't visit it, and that's always in some sort of limbo. And the USS Bakuna, which is a World War II submarine that you can go on. 
And there's the sailing vessel Moshulu, which has been converted into a restaurant. And it is really cool. It, the floors are all sloped because that's what was necessary for the ship. And on one end, there's a bar. On the other end, there's these tables. I mean, it's a really cool conversion of an old ship built in Scotland in 1904. So if you're ever in Philadelphia after COVID's over, because yes, all this stuff is closed, definitely check this place out. It actually costs you just parking to go see these vessels, and then there's a small admission fee if you'd like to go on them. And then when you're done, go have a drink on the Moshulu, especially at night. It's, it's just a really cool experience. We had a great question. It was actually in an email conversation about whether you can use fire extinguishers in freezing weather. Do fire extinguishers freeze? And thankfully, I have a number of firefighters as friends, and one of them is Pat, who has been on the show before, and he offered to answer the question for us. So, here's Pat. Hi there. Pat Degonia here to answer a question Jeff forwarded from fellow Canadian Liz. They would like to know if they can use a fire extinguisher stored in their van in below freezing temperatures. This being my line of work, I'll do my best to answer this. The easy answer to this question is yes and no, but mostly yes. As you may know, there are several types of extinguishers. Class A is the typical chromed, or red in Europe, canister filled with water you see hanging off the wall in most commercial and government buildings and is meant to be used to put out solid combustible fires like wood, paper, cloth, and most kinds of trash. They are nothing more than a pressurized container filled with water, and they will freeze if it gets too cold. Their use is also quite limited, so they are no good for van life. Next is class ABC extinguishers, and they are what is most commonly used in homes and vehicles, and are widely available in hardware stores. Class B fires or flammable liquids and gases, like fuel, propane, and other oil-based products. And class C are live electrical fires. ABC extinguishers are pressurized containers filled with a dry chemical powder, which is very similar to baking soda. They generally work by smothering the fire in a very fine powder. There are a few more types of extinguishers, like Class BC CO2 extinguishers, which are mostly used for electrical fires. You see them very often on those television firefighting shows, but in real life, their use is very limited. There are also kinds of foams and Class D and K extinguishers. I'm not going to cover them here as they're a little more specialized and are very unlikely to be found in a van or in your home. Now back to the ABC dry powder extinguisher in your van. To answer the question, yes, you can store and use them below freezing. The powder inside is dry and sealed, so it will not freeze, and most are rated to work from minus 60 to plus 130F, minus 51C to plus 51C. The reason some labels recommend keeping them above freezing is that the pressurizing gas inside will lose significant pressure as it gets cooler. This means your extinguisher will still work below freezing, but it won't last as long and you will not have as much reach. So, if you ever have the misfortune of having to use a frozen extinguisher, do keep this in mind. While I do have your attention, I would like to highlight one common problem we see with extinguishers in vehicles. The vibrations of your van may cause the powder inside the extinguisher to compact and cake, and this may impact its usability over time. Fortunately, the solution is very simple. Just pull out the extinguisher once every six months to a year, flip it upside down, and give it a few light taps with a rubber or wooden mallet. 
check to make sure the gauge or indicator is still full and the seal is still on while you're at it. And put it back well secured in your van. And stay safe on the road. Wow, thanks Pat. I especially love the extra tip at the end there. It sounds like something we should add to our winterizing ritual, if nothing else. I know in my case that happens automatically because my fire extinguisher breaks loose fairly often and bounces around the van, and I'm pretty sure you don't think that's a great idea. I've got an unusual resource recommendation for you. It's Nomadland. Not the movie, but the book. Audible has a deal where if you sign up, you get a free book. And if you don't already have an Audible account, this is a one-credit item. But the book Nomadland, which I just finished, is an absolutely great introduction to van living. And yes, it has a whole lot of backstory about how older people lost their savings during the financial crisis of the late 20-aughts etc. And there's a whole lot of story there. It is a great thing to listen to. But boy, if you are dipping your toes in the water of van life and you're not really sure if it's for you, this is going to present a reality that you need to accept. Now, your experience isn't going to be the same as the experience in the book necessarily, but it will teach you that you are going to encounter problems and there are ways to overcome them. That is kind of the story of the book. And even if you've seen the movie, it doesn't matter. The book is a completely separate thing. It stands alone, and I think it is one of the essential books that everybody who is considering living in a vehicle should read. So, check it out! Just a bit of van news for you here. First, yes, another electric van. Volkswagen has announced that its prototype electric van is going to enter production and even be available in the U.S. as early as 2023. Now, with all of these announcements and such, I take them all with a grain of salt because a lot of times the announcement is made to gauge reaction and that will inform whether they actually do it or not. But I'll have a link in the show notes and you can take a look at this kind of fantasy electric Volkswagen microbus that theoretically we're going to be able to buy someday. Now, once you buy a van, we still have the problem of where to park it. Richmond, California has a big problem with nomads, that is, folks who live in vehicles, kind of taking over the town. So they have started doing something, or at least they're researching this, taking an old mall with a giant parking lot and making it a haven for folks living in their vehicles. It looks like they're going to make it really nice if the plan goes through. They're going to have electricity and water and security and a fenced area. Now, I don't know what this means for folks who might be just driving through and wanting to stay for a night or two, but it's interesting that communities are starting to think about this. Rather than just pasting signs everywhere that say no parking, give somebody a place to park that actually is suitable and they'll park there. This could be a good trend. And the last news story for this time... The United States Postal Service has picked a replacement for the vans that we have commonly seen for decades now, and that van is the Oshkosh NGDV. Let's just say it has a distinctive look with a gigantic windshield. Some folks have said, cool, and other folks have said, oh my god, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. I'm going to let you decide, but I'll tell you what, this thing is kind of a combination between a step van and a golf cart, and I would love to turn one into a camper. It's probably going to be a long time before any of them enter the used market, 
But it's a fun thing. I'll have a link in the show notes to all these stories, and you definitely want to see the picture of this new postal bill. Thanks for listening to episode 64. I absolutely appreciate you and all the wonderful comments I get every week. Again, as a reminder, please check out our YouTube channel. It is built to go a YouTube channel. And if you'd like to get involved in the community a little bit, we are on Facebook at built to go a Facebook group. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And I definitely want you to tune in next week because we're going to have a very important episode about anxiety. It's a little risky, but I'm going to do it. Until next time, remember what Herman Melville said, a smile is the chosen vehicle of all ambiguities.